This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Welcome to Film Study. This is the offensive show, and if you haven't heard yet, the Ravens beat the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. <laughs> I hope you know that if you're tuning into this show. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I, not bad. It's still, we're still only about 48 hours from that win, so I think we can mm-hmm. still enjoy it and have a lot of fun with it. And we haven't really gotten to dig into the offense, which uh, at least came out of that game fired up, so... Uh, joining us today is Jordan from the Situation Room. How you doing, Thanks Jordan? Ha- Good, guys. Thanks for having me on. 
Always a pleasure, Jordan. Uh, it's so much fun talking football. We we actually were out in Las Vegas, got to got a chance to meet in person for the first time ever, uh, play some craps, do some other things, but uh, but all kinds of fun and uh, unfortunate ending to that game. You know, we both actually left the stadium a little early. We don't need to go into that again. I've already told that story, but uh, yeah. much better result to discuss this week. Yeah, and we'll just absolutely. leave out the analogy. We'll just leave alone the analogy that you guys were playing craps and the Ravens played by crap. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll leave that out. Very we'll good. Leave it out. No need to dig into that. That was last week. We have a much better team to talk about this week. Yeah, we we sure do. We sure do. So, uh, Jordan, uh, uh, great to have you on again. But but uh, to me, the thing that stood out from this game was that Roman really fit the scheme to the personnel he had available. Obviously, the tackles are going to be a huge weakness in this game, and, and Roman did a lot to adjust for that. Yeah, and I don't think it was just an adjustment to the scheme. I thought it was a, a pretty clear adjustment in in play calls as well. The, the approach was, I thought, on first down a lot different than what we saw in the Raiders game. And um, the play actions um, – you know, particularly there was some play action in the Raiders game is even on the first and second drives that they had on offense, but they weren't the same true biting play actions like we saw in this game. And it really kept the Chiefs on their heels. It seemed like when they were committed to the run on first down, we were in play action. When they weren't, we were running and we just had the right beat on kind of how to keep them off, off guard. Yeah, they did. They they don't often on the forward facing play action, which is most of what the Ravens run. They don't run a lot of turn your back play action. They don't go all the way into the mesh point very often to show play action, but they did in this game at least once. Uh, and uh, and I thought that was very effective. Lamar, I thought, did a really good job of moving around in the pocket. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, his ability to do that was greatly increased by the scheme that Roman had. And, and you know, it, it's at least a couple of combinations of play calling. I really consider as part of the scheme, obviously, but, but the, but what also was very pronounced was the number of extra inline players that he had on the field on a down by down basis. And when you count up the following tight ends, fullbacks, and the sixth offensive lineman Cologne, you'll see that they had 138 snaps on 76 plays per the game book. And that works out to 1.82 per play. That is much above normal. And they, in fact, had two plays in this game with four tight ends lined up in line. Yeah, it was, you know, and not to go, you know, we don't want to go back to week one. But it's frustrating to me that that this adjustment was pretty easy to make, right? Like it was clearly obvious in, in week one, halfway through the game that it needed to be made. The Raiders were getting home with rushing four. just bring these guys in line, run the same concepts, run the same kind of stuff, but just make sure that they're in line so they can give help and they can chip, or they can even just get in the way of some of that wide nine look. Um, so it was really, I mean, it was really nice to see. And like you said, it was, it was really successful in slowing down a probably not as good Kansas city mm-hmm. chiefs pass run. Um, you know, the Ravens also just kept Chris Jones totally off balance. Yeah. I mean, Greg Roman had him keyed up to attack. And when he was when he was wide, they were running read option directly at him. And they were just mm-hmm. making him look silly for a guy that, quite frankly, the last three times the Ravens have played the Chiefs has made the Ravens look silly when he's rushed on it's the interior. Him. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, a, a, an adjustment they could have made was to move Chris Jones inside. Again. I, I was and, stunned and, they did it. Yeah, he would have been much more effective there, I think, against the Ravens. He certainly would have uh, uh, been back to his old stomping grounds where he did plenty of sacking back then. Uh, you know, one of the things that 
we really see from the Ravens is a lot of their motion is used primarily on blockers. And it was extremely pronounced in this game that they were motioning a tight end, motioning the fullback, motioning uh, players who had a blocking responsibility. And most of the time it wasn't a receiver. So they weren't motioning Duvernay. They did, they did do a, a, a motion or two with Brown by orbit and at least a couple through the backfield as well, where he might've had one carry. Um, but, but anyway, if they were doing that, it was a, it was a very hot looking read. It was a low percentage of the total. They were not using their motion to get receivers open. Yeah, they did have the one kind of uh, the one jet sweep read option play to Duvernay mm-hmm. of the Lamar Capitan. I really like that play overall, too. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's just a, a, a lot of things. Now, I keep track of the set and chip blockers there are 15 set and seven chip blocks in 27 plays. That that includes all of the passes plus the one sack. So 26 plus one. I think chip blocks in particular, which are a concession to route running more than people realize are not that big a deal with Lamar because he tends to extend plays and reset the clock very much like Mahomes, by the way, is that, you know, he's throwing to what he sees as opposed to throwing a lot of timing routes. So if this were Brady or Manning or Roethlisberger, there'd be all this design fakery. And then you better be in the right space 2.1 seconds because he has a great internal clock to throw that ball on the money at that point. Uh, With, with Lamar, he's rereading the field as you go. And, and, you know, same thing with Patrick Mahomes and, and those quarterbacks. I don't think it matters nearly as much when you use a chip blocker. So go ahead and do it. You know, it's, it's, it's valuable, obviously. Why not? Yeah. And with Lamar, it's also about the pocket moving too. part of what didn't work in the Las Vegas game was that both there'd be multiple areas of the pocket that would compress into him at one time. And so he didn't, wouldn't have one direction. He's yes. good at moving both directions, left and right, but he would have nowhere to move. And he would either, and he would be kind of forced directly into a lane. And, and so the Raiders were really good at that. That's how they forced both of the fumbles, to be honest. Yeah. They kind of forced him into a spot where they knew he was going to be, and it let them take a shot at the ball. Um, in this game, what we saw from the set and chip blocks is that Lamar had space to slide in one direction or the other. Mm-hmm. He's great at that sense of where he needs to go and where he needs to read. In some cases, jumping up and throwing a touchdown mm-hmm. pass in the air. Um, and so we got vintage Lamar. And, you know, I, I went back and watched the Las Vegas game right before this. And the improvement, I don't think, was miles and miles of improvement from last week to this week, kind of watching them back to back. It was just a couple little things here and there on maybe three out of every five plays made all the world and the difference in terms of the overall result of this game. Yeah. I mean, I I agree. And I I, go back, go back to your first point. I couldn't agree more with that. And we've said that a number of times on the show is that Lamar is very good at adapting to pressure from one side. In fact, it's one of the things that makes him and Ronnie Stanley such a good match is that Ronnie Stanley gives up a lot of pressures between two and a half and three seconds by bull rush or by giving ground directly while mirroring his opponent. And in so doing, he often backs directly into Lamar. I've never seen a quarterback more adept at being pinballed around in the pocket from one side. He can take a hit and it doesn't seem to impact him very much. He, you know, okay, I'm, I got to move. Okay, I'll move. I, I, it's, he's just very good at that. And Stanley was very good at not letting um, that defender get his hands on Lamar and disrupt the throw, which is, of course, what, what will do it. You know, in, in, in the, and also pressure from both sides, as you mentioned that in that Las Vegas game, was just 
Lamar was not used to it. He did not know how to react to it. I think he's probably better stepping left and right in the pocket than he is stepping up, which is a little bit sacrilegious after watching him, you know, step up and jump the ball to, to Hollywood in this game. Yeah. You know, um, and, and the other thing I thought from the chief's approach to how they attacked Lamar, they did not, I, I mean, it wasn't a pure replication of what Las Vegas tried to do. So they definitely weren't as wide in their rushes. Um, and mm-hmm. they weren't willing to concede rushes kind of, and when you heard Collingsworth say this during the, uh, during the broadcast, they weren't trying, they were trying not to concede runs that were kind of between the hashes up the middle. They still got gashed there anyway, maybe not for those 30, 40 yard runs that we saw last year in a couple of big games like Cincinnati and Philadelphia. But um, they were staying tighter in to try and compress that in more. And Lamar was still able to take advantage of that up the middle. Um, and it made them much less effective in terms of the pass rush overall. Yeah, I think the Ravens, in fact, took advantage of that on the run, too, particularly outside on the right. I thought they ran very well in this game. They did a good job of sealing that edge. Uh, some of it had to do with McCary being out there and doing a good job. And also McCary had help on the vast majority of the snaps. Uh and in run and pass, but but in particular, getting that that right edge caved in so they could run off it. It was it just it was open most of the game uh, for for both Williams Williams or Jackson. I'll say, yeah, just a variety of also how they threw, how Roman threw from a scheme perspective of how they threw that out there. All the different personnel looks, all the different types of runs. We saw a guard tackle pull in in one mm-hmm. instance where they had no action going with it. We saw right. a lot of. Um, guard and center pulls. So Bozeman was Bozeman was pulling more in this game than I remember him pulling in the Las Vegas game. And I thought that was an interesting thing to see. Um, they just kept mixing it up and they really just, they kept Kansas City off balance the entirety of the game. Yeah, they, they, the Ravens went 30 of 33 on their pull blocks in this game, including uh, either connecting or selling a fake, which I, which is something I allow from tackle. A, a tackle pulling is part of the second, uh, you know, a, a counterplay. Uh, anyway, it's it's uh, it was one of those great games for scheme. I hope that people out there can give Greg Roman the appropriate credit for this game because they're going to need him the rest of this year. There's not another offensive coordinator, I don't think, who's going to be able to get them through with what they have right now. Um, and the deficiencies on this team. And Greg Roman is the right guy for this personnel group at this point. Yeah. The, the one thing I would add to that is that I really like at this point, I think that Greg Roman should just give up empty and I huge credit to Greg Roman. I, I, I'm not, this is not intended to say that he, there's, there's nothing bad you can say about this Kansas city game, but empty is not working right now for Baltimore. It didn't work last year. And I think Lamar is uncomfortable in empty. Both the interceptions that came in this game were in empty and both were throws where if Lamar would have taken half a second more to kind of diagnose what was going on, there were throws that I don't think that he would have made, but I think he's rushing a little bit in those situations. I think he's uncomfortable in those situations. So don't run those situations. Just take those out of the playbook. It's not that hard. Let him be a little more comfortable. Keep that running back in there um, to be there as a blocker. Let him release if, if his guy comes free on the or if doesn't come free on the rush. If they rush four, right? If they just rush four, then you can release. Yeah. And, and that late release from from exactly that, it just doesn't cost them that much. We, we I don't want to talk about the same point again, but it's a similar to the notion of the chip blocking. That you know half second late release once you recognize it's a four zero blitz or four zero pass rush, I should say. Um, shouldn't impact what Lamar does with that running back. First of all, he doesn't dump off the running back very much ever. Okay. It's usually a, a, more, more likely to be a design pass to the running back. He's his own dump off. You know, he's, he runs free as the 
compliment to say multiple vertical routes on the same play. But but in this in this game, I, I would say if you want to throw to a running back late, if you want that extra option, that that should be fine in this. And I, I agree with you. I, I don't like the empty sets with Lamar. Um, the only time I'm I'm kind of okay with empty, and I still like it when they run power with an extra fullback in the backfield quarterback power. Now I'm talking about not, not uh, so we saw that on the, on the very last play of the game too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, and one other quick thought about this is that Latavius Murray is not the guy to be the pass protector. They also need to get him out of those situations where if they are going to run like, you know, four guys wide and keep a running back in, or, you know, even if somebody in line, he's, there have been a couple big sacks that have happened both this week and last week where he was the extra guy um, and basically was doing nothing on both of those plays. Um, and so I, I don't know that those were entirely his fault in either instance, but he just looked like he wasn't, he looked like he contributed nothing to the play and either didn't know what was going on there. Or it doesn't seem like the right fit for him. Whereas Tyson Williams, at least in the preseason showed some really great pass blocking chops, both on the edge and up the middle. Um, and I'd like to see somebody, you know, and Le'Veon Bell's a guy that's been known for having those chops. I think uh, they could have, yeah, he is, they've, made, they've kind of made that commitment is unfortunate that, that Murray they've signed for week one. So they owe him for the whole season. I, I don't know where Bell is. I mean, obviously, he's not ahead of Freeman. That should tell you something. Uh, he there's other running backs now that have gotten cut and claimed. And there was there's a running back claim today. I forget who did it. And, you know, my immediate reaction to that is, OK, well, Le'Veon Bell's one further down on the replacement level chart for all these other NFL teams. But, you know, I, I, I don't know how long he'll last, but it won't be forever. Some, some team will claim him. Maybe it's, you know, six weeks from now, or maybe it's two weeks from now. I really don't know, but, I, but that's kind of the goalposts I would toss around the likely period where Le'Veon Bell gets claimed. Yeah. You know, it'll be interesting to see. And I don't know, you know, it'll be interesting to see if um, Devontae Freeman ends up switching spots with Le'Veon Bell at some point. I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, Freeman looked great. He looks great north south. Um, He looks quite slow east west. Um, So, you know, I think the Ravens are going to have to make a decision about, you know, what what type of guy they want out of that role. And I think, you know, Tyson kind of has some of those pass block chops. He's got great hands um, and he's a great kind of he's great catching the ball and running. Um, So in that sense, maybe you don't need Bell and you want to keep a guy like Freeman for some other reasons. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that, but I I don't want to see Latavius Murray in in some obvious pass block sets. (laughs) Right. It's, we'll, uh, I mean, we'll see how this develops, but it is the, the more natural exchange would be Freeman for Bell because it's the only one. And, and of course, at any point, it's possible somebody gets hurt and then it's Bell. So, you know, you, you got multiple ways, I guess, he can get on the roster and you're paying him on a weekly basis. Uh, you know, the, the last thing I'll say about this is that the tackles, the weakness of the tackles in this game, I felt like it changed the game plan. So it even made the Ravens a stronger run team than they were. Now, obviously, Weak run defense opponent, okay, and your tackles are out, and you know you 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 feel a weakness against the pass rush. You feel the need to combat that. It it would make sense you'd gain on, on in terms of your run game some, but they just they, they ran all over the Chiefs. They completely controlled, uh, you know the, the the snap count against the Chiefs, which is very key. I mean, in that fourth quarter, uh, particularly on the long drive, the Chiefs were very tired. Now, the time happened to be working in their favor at that moment where, you know, they were going to still have time to score. Uh, I, I don't know about you, by the way, but I was almost feeling like when they're on defense, like it would have been better for the Ravens to let the Chiefs score at that point. Yeah, I, I was pretty frustrated that the Ravens let that drive kind of 
go as long as it did. I mean, I, I understand the methodical approach. I understand not wanting to get away from yourself, but they essentially set themselves up to give Mahomes the opportunity of if he converted essentially one first down on the other side of that, um, right. that the Chiefs were going to be in very strong position to be able to win that game. Um, and, you know, I thought in particular, there were a couple spots where it was third and short and second and short, and the Ravens should have run play action in both of those instances. This is something the Ravens refuse, for whatever reason, refuse to do. Um, mm-hmm. That was the time to do it because, one, you needed to get a chunk play, so you, you, you won that time back. Two, Kansas City is really looking to try and make those stops. You've already you've already committed or the Ravens showed later in the game that they would have been willing to go for it on the fourth down. If they hadn't converted that short third down, I believe it was Octavius Murray that converted it. If you're committed to doing that and you're as good as a short conversion team as the Ravens are, take those shots in those instances. Um, And I think that they're really going to pay off for you. You should be able to get some mismatches of some wide receivers on some linebackers or safeties um, in some of those instances. Um, And, and I think the Ravens didn't take advantage of that. Maybe, maybe they weren't comfortable with it, but that's a component where I think that the Ravens don't have to get away from running the ball, but they can still win back a couple big chunk plays without having to go empty, five wide, whatever. Yeah. So we're we're talking, I think, two sides of the same coin. So the first one is, should the Ravens have taken seven or eight minutes or whatever it was to drive for the go-ahead touchdown? And I agree with you that there was not a lot of incentive for them to extend that drive to score unless they could get it down under maybe a minute left if, if they're going to lead by either one or three which was the which was the situation then and oh my god isn't it isn't it fortunate that that uh illegal man downfield call did not end up costing the ravens this game because that would have been a real travesty if it had anyway the the uh uh the other side of that coin is when once you're ahead one do you let the chiefs have that score uh, you know, then they're they're tossed into a predicament. They probably, and I don't think it's a predicament actually. They, they would definitely go for two, and then you see so you have kind of a couple chances to stop them, uh, or you have an extra chance to stop them there because if you stop them, then you can score a touchdown and win, and and you give yourself the amount of time necessary to do so. But once they got to about the thirty yard line, I'm thinking, okay, you know, if they don't stop them right here, if they don't get a turnover right here, they're going to really need to let them score on the next couple of plays because the, otherwise this clock's going to be drained enough. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I, I just got off on my my own personal tangent of something I was <laughs> screaming yeah, at the, cool. screaming at the screen about during during it happening. But the other side of that, the other side of that is Kansas City knows that Baltimore has an incentive there to let them score. Yeah. So and they might kneel it at the one. Yeah, right. Exactly. You, essentially, you have to let them complete it. Like you have to go into cover zero, right, and try and keep tight coverage all the way down to the five yard line, and then but and then let them go. That's exactly what you do. You you, yeah. you 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 blitz it with eight men, and you see if a receiver really remembers what he's supposed to do yep. uh, but yeah you'd, you'd have to do that and uh and it would be a yeah. all right cool enough let's move on to the offensive line we spent 20 minutes on this we probably shouldn't have but it was this was a scheme was was a lot of the most interesting stuff i, I i'm gonna just kind of go through this and and uh we'll go one one at a time and then we'll we'll have some discussion about each player so villanueva uh recovered very nicely from a from a really lousy game at las vegas uh had a solid game here a c i had him for three pressures allowed plus in this game plus a couple of others that were close using a three second standard so i could understand anyone calling it for between three and five pressures in addition there was another one lamar ran him out of for a 20-yard gain or so. I forget what what, what play it was exactly, but uh, Villanueva had given up the pressure and Lamar happened to run for a gain, which then I wipe out the pressure on the score sheet the way I do it. But uh, but in any case, uh, I did not think his game was as good 
as it's been scored by other services or it's been scored by other people. I, I thought it really was a C game, pretty much a low C game. And it's not the kind of game that makes me completely over the hump in trusting Villanueva, although he did, he did play well against the, or, uh, in the run game. Well, you know, I kind of see Villanueva as a C level, you know, to like B plus at at his best game type of tackle anyway. Um, You know, I I don't envision him, you know, whether he ends up having to stay at the left side for a longer period of time or moving to the right side. And I do think that there needs to be an adjustment period around that. I don't expect him to be great and the Ravens don't need him to be great. But what they need from him is what we got in this Kansas City game, which was no major mental lapses. I think the problem in the Las Vegas game is that he got in it like he's already in his own head, right? Because you're mirroring. This is the first time you've played on the right side. You've really got to go through those progressions and you've really got to make it work. Okay, now I've gotten beaten on five of the first eight plays. Now, Now all of a sudden I'm in my head. Now I'm thinking about everything that's going on around me all the time, down blocking, what are my assignments? All of a sudden everything is magnified. The noise was, I mean, we were both there. The noise was huge, a huge part of the difference in that too. And he needed to settle into the system and the approach. They were giving him no help on the chip blockers. So, you know, it, I think once you adjust for all of those things put together, um, and Greg, Greg Roman figures out how that dynamic of how to dial him up, I'm totally fine with Villanueva being a B minus to C plus player week in and week out. I think that is going to be on the right side with a with an A level Ronnie Stanley on the left side. That is a formula for success for this Ravens team. Oh, I mean, I'd sign me up for that right now if we could have it. I'm just afraid we're we're probably not going to get that from Villanueva this season. So we'll we'll see. Uh, he certainly has the size to play well uh, over there and, and should, you know, has done it well in the past. Let's talk about him as a run blocker for a second. Cause I don't want to repeat what I'm, what I'm going over this five for five on pulls in this game, four pancakes, three blocks in level two. That's a hell of a lot better than what we saw in week one. Uh, you know, it's a fair amount of mobility for a big guy. And I, I just thought that's, that's really on the outside of what we could ever reasonably expect to see. It's a, it's a, that's, it's so in in tune with the Ravens scheme that he's able to do that, that that'll be of great use if he can continue. He stepped in nicely for what we saw from Brown in terms of pulling and some of that lateral motion and his ability as a run blocker. Really good to see. All right, let's move on to Powers. Uh, he uh, had a good game, split the time with Cleveland. He really had a great game if he didn't have the single holding penalty. But the holding penalty ruined his score down to point seventy six because he had a limited number of snaps in the game. Uh, he did make seven of seven pulls. So we've heard that as a regular concern relative to Bozeman. His Bozeman is, uh, you know, a, probably a similar, similar measurables guy in terms of foot speed and footwork to Powers, but is but is had was much better than that in terms of understanding the dance steps of pulling and being able to do it successfully. But powers going seven for seven is good. Um, and, and certainly you uh, in general, I don't think there's a reason why you wouldn't try to continue a rotation between him and Cleveland. Yeah. You know, going back to Andrew Villanueva's quote from uh, that, they, they kept throwing up there in the, in this game, I thought powers kind of fit that perfectly, which other than the holding penalty, we didn't really see a lot from him, nothing spectacular, but nothing terrible. Um, and the, look, the Ravens can live with that at left guard. You know, I think that again, thinking about this, I think about this Ravens team, you know, even this Kansas city game as a whole in the offensive line as what they're going to be when we get to week 17, there's a lot of time before we get to this, the end of the season, there's a lot of time for Stanley to get healthy. There's a lot of time for these guys to figure out how to communicate and play well together. So if what we can get at the early stage of a guy playing next to a guy, he hasn't played, you know, essentially played next to the entirety of the preseason. And when, when they came here, we can have a game that is just kind of, 
pretty blase and there's nothing to complain about overall. Um, I think that leaves the Ravens in a really strong future position, kind of, you know, whatever you want to take away from Powers' performance in the game kind of individually. Yeah, I, I agree. So, so you're saying the continuity will build over the season. We'll 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 get better results, and and I would agree that's true. I think it's true of Powers. It's true of Cleveland. It's probably true of Villanueva on the left side, and it'll be true probably of whoever they go with at right tackle. It may be McCary, maybe somebody else. But there's something to be said about some of the automatic continuity they gained from this game alone in, in forcing themselves to run and to make up for who the tackles were. It just it see, would seem like it, it would build more of a Stalingrad-type approach, being the Russians, that you could defend. You, 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 you've got a, a – I'm going I'm to mess up the explanation of this a, – a situation that's so dire – in terms of what you have to do to try and turn it around and win it, that it naturally brings you together as a unit to create more of that continuity. Everybody's got to be so focused on their responsibilities in a week like this leading up to Kansas City. And I think I think for as long as they're sitting there with these two tackles, they're going to have to protect them. Yeah, and the nice part that you get from to take all I, I agree with all of that, and it's take, take it back to powers. At least that your baseline is right in like the middle of the road or a little bit better than that as an overall starting point for where that fits. You know, whether he ends up being the starting left guard or the backup left guard, it's just really nice to know that you've got a backup that can kind of fill in right at that right at that kind of league average type player. Yeah. At, you know, to be able to come in. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I love having two good choices there. It's good for depth. It's good for competition, and it, and the rotation itself has value within a game. Get a tired Kansas City defense, this team and be a game, and being able to rotate between those two guys had obvious value. You know, we'll get the powers here, but I'm sorry to Cleveland because I think he it showed up in some of his play. He was physical in terms of the run game. I thought not exceptionally so because there's not too many people standing in front of him. He didn't really make it to level two to make a block in the game. Let me make sure I have that correct. Yeah, no level two blocks, no pancakes. He made two out of three pulls. Played 28 snaps. But here's the good news. He only gave up half a pressure in the entire game. That was his only charge, and he missed three other blocks. So he graded out as a B for the game. He didn't have a holding penalty like Powers did. Uh, I, I just saw a lot of not bad news from Cleveland in this game. I would love to see more powerful run blocking, and I think we will. But I'm, I'm almost more happy to see not bad news in terms of pass blocking than I am to see great news in terms of some super physical run blocking. I guess the the only thing I would add to all that, which I also agree with, is Cleveland was the guy on the field for that last drive when oh, yeah. they had two plays where they, they they knew they were gonna they knew there was run run pass or run 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 <laughs> they knew it was run run something to start and Cleveland was the guy that they picked to be out there on the field. To me, that's a telling moment for what they think about Cleveland as a run blocker currently and in the future versus what they think about Powers. Yeah, he was on for actually the last two touchdown drives. So both the last 12 points, they had Cleveland on the field. So that's a great point, though. Um, he was he was the man. Uh, we'll move on to Bozeman, who's, who's probably been the Ravens' most consistent lineman so far. Had another good game. One bad snap. That was in the red zone. It was at a bad time. It was very well handled by Lamar. Obviously, it's almost like an interceptable football that you can't really judge how bad it was by the fact that Lamar happened to handle it this time. But I charged him for a penetration because it actually did cause a one-yard loss. It's the same sort of a play. Uh, He had one other penetration that's caused a blow-up of a run play that went left with Freeman, I believe. Um, Made six out of six pulls, even though he's at center. So they're doing a lot of center left tackle pulling or center right tackle pulling. 
to, to, to run their counter. And, uh, you know, three blocks in level two, it's just a lot of, a lot of good results from Bozeman without too much bad and two pressures is not is two penetration is not the end of the world uh graded out right at the top of the b range actually sorry midpoint of the b range at center at 0.88 after adjustment yeah and the only i think Bozeman's played great so far it's a really the, the ravens have needed better stability to anchor the middle of that offensive line i think as zeitler kind of and we'll talk about him but i think as he settles in more that like it's just going to allow them to do more as the two of those guys can kind of be able to help either to the right tackle side or to be able to help to the left guard side. So it's been really good to see that stability. It seemed to me like the bad snap was a little bit uh, as much about timing as it was about just like a physically bad snap. Whereas last year, the snaps that we saw were just like, like wild pitches, the, the most utterly terrible snaps that you could possibly have. Like they look like it was like a long, like a, like, you know, a, a, a um, long snapper snap that just, you know, wildly going off to wherever we didn't, that wasn't what happened with Bozeman. It looked like Lamar just wasn't quite ready. And so if it's strictly a timing issue, I can live with that. And something that Bozeman is going to need to adjust his way into, um, we definitely need to keep an eye on it though, because we saw that, you know, last year, these guys got the yips. Like once, once the bad snaps started, it, it, it felt like there weren't a lot of bad snaps in the beginning of the year, but then once it happened, it seemed like they right. couldn't get it under control. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's true. I, 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 I think each Skura really more, but but McCary obviously in the playoff game had some troubles with a cold hands. But I agree, it was just with with Skura, it almost seemed like more of a mental thing. So we we, we you mentioned Zeitler, but Zeitler should really calm this down by being able to come in, run some of the cadence and the line calls, and handle some of that. So Bozeman is focused. What I've really liked from seeing with Bozeman working with Zeitler just just this year in general is that he seems to have a pretty good pass blocking anchor. So he's. He's a bigger guy to leave behind so that double team can be left early to create yet another help block opportunity from guard going to tackle. So if you have your typical four-man pass rush, you're going to have one, one guard who's, who's lined up against a three-tech, and he has to take him alone no matter what. Then you have a guard center double on the, on the one, and or if, if the center can take that reliably on a handoff quicker, you have a better situation because then that guard can move off and he can either, he can immediately start processing. Do I have anybody I need to catch on a stunt or uh, do I need to get anybody from level two? But then also he can, he can go and he can help block uh, that tackle. I, I think that is a, also going to be a pretty big deal this year, given, given where the Ravens are. And, and I think I, I kind of perceive that more teams are going to be trying to rush the Ravens with four than with more Although the chiefs in this game used a lot of numbers. Yeah, um, I think Zeitler's ability to kind of settle in here is going to help Villanueva or whoever ends up being on the right side of that line, kind of like you mentioned. To me, that's the biggest key of what we're going to get from him. It's like he stabilizes with Bozeman, just the help that they're going to be able to provide. And ideally, if the communication and the work between the two of them really stays together, at a very minimum, you keep that bubble directly in front of Lamar as something that he's always going to feel comfortable stepping up into. That's something that Lamar, I think, has not done well in the last year yeah. and a half or the year. Well, he hasn't had it. I, I, think, I think they've been, yeah. And, and that's, that's it's, it has really shown up to me is that, is that they're, they're doing a better job of drawing a line of the stand in front of the pocket. And Lamar still doesn't necessarily make good use of that space, but having it should, should allow him to at least attempt that. What I think the, the lack of use has to do with the lack of comfortability and the, the, like when you don't trust. expect it to be there, right? If you don't expect it to be there, then you're not ready to do it. So, um, you know, hopefully it continues in that trend. 
Yeah, I completely agree. So I'll go quickly through. Zeitler made eight of his nine pulls. Uh, it was his best individual game, the best individual game along the offensive line in this one, a .94 overall uh, and an A. So good game for good game for Zeitler. Uh, I'll move on to McCary since I think you're good on Zeitler right now. Other things to say? All right, outstanding. McCary, really good game. I've obviously been highly critical of him and the length I did not think was going to work. You know, This game, he had a lot of help. But he still did extremely well at what he did. In fact, even if you consider the fact that McCary was in some sense playing guard in this game, and I'm not going to say that's what it is. It's, it's kind of like playing guard slash tackle in a game the way they had him covered up. You know, the way they moved him to the left side in the six-man jumbo line to, to facilitate that last play. You know, so there were elements of him where they're obviously trying to cover him up. But I still think even if you consider it a game as a guard, it was a great game. Five missed blocks, half a pressure, four blocks in level two. He had some highlight blocks, too. Uh, had two highlight blocks, two out of three on pulls. Uh, just a lot to love about this game and, and, a, and an easy A overall, .92 after adjustment. Uh, they certainly did things to help him. They did the right things to help him, and he chipped in with a great game of his own. And I, and I, I think, you know, as critical as I've been about him, his length did not hurt the Ravens, obviously, in this game. Well, and, you know, I, I, get, I agree with everything you just talked about with Makari. They protected him well. And, but, and that's the thing about the long-term plan, right, once Ronnie gets healthy, is this, this idea that the Ravens now have a blueprint because they were forced into it in this game of, mm-hmm. okay, if, if Villanueva is not playing well or Makari or whoever is on the right side, we can go back to these kind of looks. We've done it now. We know it works. We know how to execute against it. Like maybe it's not the default, but it's, it's a thing that we can go to in the crunch. They didn't, it, it's almost like if the Las Vegas game with the same, like let's pretend like everything else played out exactly the same way in terms of kind of Ronnie eroding a little bit as the game went on, struggling a little bit with health, like, they didn't seem to have that blueprint or any idea of what they wanted to do to help a tackle. Now they do, right? And they yeah. have an idea, at least on one side, we can protect this one side by doing it this way. And so I, that, that insurance policy, I think, is going to be huge for the Ravens. And I think it's going to pay off at some point down the line against a team like Cleveland or against a team that's got some really good edge rushers for them to, even if the line is playing okay and not maybe poorly, be able to fill in and use some of these plays or use some of these looks to slow down whatever that might be right yeah I, I i agree i mean it helps to know that you have the tools in your toolbox you know they 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 had it there they they, they just didn't know they had it there but this is a, this is definitely a game that, that taught them you, you go back to old teams the 2008 ravens really come to mind in flacco's rookie year as running a whole bunch of unbalanced and jumbo sets to try and overcome uh, some of the slowness of foot they had. Willie, uh, uh, Willie Anderson was at right tackle that year for the Ravens, and uh, he did, you know, was not a particularly quick-footed tackle. I know he didn't give up a lot of sacks in his NFL career, but had a really good year playing within the Ravens' scheme that year. And they would still play all this unbalanced where they would tuck him inside uh, and just make his life a little bit easier play after play, even though they had a very fullback-reliant uh, uh, running game that year. But uh, anyway, I, I, I see similarities to that. And I'm hoping this run game, it looks to me, anyway, I'll, I'll just make this prediction. I, it looks to me like this is going to be a you know 180-yard-per-game run team again. Uh, not 200 necessarily. I don't think they're going to necessarily run for 3,200 yards, but I think this is a team that runs for 2,700, 2,800 yards, uh, maybe a little bit more, and uh, is, is again, approaching those historic kind of levels for the 16-game season. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. I, I, 
if only the only disagreement was that I think they're going to push that closer to that 200 yards game when it's all said and done. I, you know, I would, uh, I, I think Tyson has looked, if he can settle down the fumbling issues, Tyson has looked really good in his offense. He's super yeah. explosive. If he can clean up a couple reads per game and the fumble issues per game, the same number of carries in last night's game would have been, I, I, he had another, and then they, Collinsworth called this out at one point. He, he just missed a cutback lane on one of those plays where he had a huge hole. And then what does he do on the very next play? He turns around and he runs for a first down anyway. Um, I, I think he's going to have a really big season and the more trust that the Ravens gain in him, I think, I think this running game is going to just develop pick up steam kind of like Edwards did in his first year, like Dobbins did over the course of last year. I think we're going to see a similar progression with Tyson. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I love him. Cologne, uh, eight scored snaps as a sixth offensive lineman, made seven blocks, had a lot of mobility and highlights for the time he was in two blocks in level two, one pancake, one highlight. That's unusual that in a real short stint like that, you get there, not enough for a grade, but that's uh, interesting. Um, Okay. So let's see. Uh, I'm looking at some stuff here that looks like it's still from the from the Las Vegas game. Hope, hope that we're okay with that. Let's move on and talk about Lamar a little bit. Um, he had ample time and space in this game on eight of 27 dropbacks. That's 30. percent That's about average. Uh, it's probably a little bit right. It's probably right about average. I would say for right now. I thought he passed very well considering the pressure. Moved well in the pocket. I think we talked a little bit about that. This was the first time we've seen him really move up and really take advantage of that space in the pocket. Well, it's, it's, it's has not been usual that we have seen that. Yeah. Well, and it's not been, I mean, it's been a while since we've seen the Ravens leave a lot of space in front of, in front of him to be able to, to be able to move like we talked about a little bit, but you know, I, and some of that is also that Lamar is just so effective once he starts moving laterally, like, right. It opens mm-hmm. up, it opens up vertical lanes, both in terms of throwing and running. And usually there's extra space when he gets out on those edges or, you know, if they are kind of like muddle rush kind of staying wide in those instances, that's when you might start to see him start to press up and move forward a little bit. And so I think, you know, some, some of that some of that I think might be you know even a little bit more coached and schemed than it is you know anything else there you go um, really liked his decisions to leave the pocket in this game I didn't think he left too early uh, I thought he was he was good about trying to make space make throws uh, and just thought his decision making was very good except for some of the interceptable balls it looked like Tyron Matthew could have had three in this game but uh, but we ended up with two. Yeah, you know, I, I thought Lamar's decision making was pretty good overall. There are a couple. Uh, one of the things that I I, I I struggle with a little bit with Lamar is that it seems like, at least right now for the moment, he's making a decision when he wants to throw the ball really deep down the field, really early in those progressions. And so when he mm-hmm. wants to take the shots, he decides really on early on in the play that he's going to take that shot, and he almost seems unwilling to give it away. And I wish. And again, I don't know if that's true and I don't know how the Ravens are coaching this up, but I, I would rather him read directly what's in front of him first um, what in, in terms of what he's seeing. Right. Because if you're looking at the, the of what's in front of you, 10, 15 yards down the field or less, then you have some sense of how many guys are deep. Right. You just know how many guys are in route. You know how many guys are rushing you. You know how many guys are defending them. If Lamar had used that type of analysis, he never makes the second interception throw to Brown. Um, but he decided pre-snap when they were showing cover zero before Matthew had rolled deep right. that he thought that throw was going to be there. And so it's almost like he wasn't reading anything else. And he's, yeah, you know, and, and yes, you, you're trying to move guys with your eyes and you're trying to do some of those kind of things. But he needs yep. to be a little bit more aware or awake or willing to get away from that in those reads, I think. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, in that particular read, it was double covered in a way that it was too dangerous to throw that ball. He didn't even need to run Matthew coming back in there to, to make the play. And of course, that, of course, was the interceptor. Uh, I agree with you in general. And, you know, I've heard it said before that, you know, you read the field kind of with with um, a wide focus. So it's almost like you're looking into an easy eye puzzle where you're trying to see the shapes that's inside of these charts. You ever seen those before? You yep. you live in California. You must have them in Venice, right? That <laughs> <laughs> you know, you oh, I can see that. That's a yin yang symbol in the middle of there. Well, that's that's kind of the way he has to kind of just loosen up his gaze and and be able to take in as much as he can. And he'll pick up. He'll learn to pick up a lot of clues that way. But then Lamar does get very focused as the play moves on to to the extension portion where he's he's trying to uh you know read which receiver is going to break open as he moves laterally and present him with a throwing lane um he's much more in the he, he wants to throw a line drive as that as that uh uh play extends more than mahomes who's willing to throw up still an artillery shell uh or or roethlisberger of the past uh when those plays are are extended yeah and and you know i think some of that is also trust like lamar has Mm -hmm. not had a wide receiver that has come down with those and some of that is on him right like the very first or the second play of the game i mean brown was open you know if lamar just puts a little more air under it um to give brown a little bit more time to go deep and you know it's almost like one of those you know it's almost like that fourth down play you know i hate to bring it up the fourth down play with tyree kill and patrick mahomes against the ravens a few years Mm -hmm. ago where you just throw it up and high and deep and kind of out in front as far as possible. Give your guy a chance to just go absolutely run it down because he's out in front. Um, And so, you know, I think Lamar just hasn't found some comfortability around that. And they need to just, they do need to, in some ways they need to keep forcing it and they need to keep working on it. And they need to keep doing it in game. So it's hard to be critical of him as a result of that. But I think that, I think you're right though. Once he breaks the pocket or once, once he gets to the kind of like that, that second play, right? Like when you've talked about, like mm-hmm. once you've kind of cracked that three and a half seconds, all of a sudden it seems like his processing changes to a completely different mode. And I'd like to see that mode be what he's doing when he's in the pocket too. And he, and he can even have a reset button, but if he had that processing, if he had that kind of processing initially, the league needs to look out. <laughs> right. I, I, I mean, I agree. I think it's, it would be the next step. I've, we've seen some really nice steps out of Lamar this, this year. One of them is just being a field general. And I'm not talking about, you know, going to the sidelines saying, hell yeah, coach, let's go for it. That's, that's great too, that, that everybody trusts Lamar to be the decision maker on that. I'm talking about telling Latavius Murray, look, aside from this play, I need you to move up to the line of scrimmage and throw a chip block here. I, I, I love that kind of stuff directed out of the huddle. That's kind of, that's Manning. You see, you know, deciding, hey, I, that, that play call is fine, but I want this one difference. You know, that's that's what I love to see. And, and I'm hoping that we see some evolution in terms of, I, you know, and again, this is unfounded completely, but it seems to me as though the Ravens have, I want to call it shackles or handcuffs, but it does seem like the Ravens hold back some of the scheme type stuff that some of these other NFL teams are doing. That if Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan was here, the Ravens would be doing, or Andy Reid, the Ravens would be doing things with Lamar that the Ravens don't even try. And so what I'd really like to see is the Ravens start to try and break out some of these other principles that do require the quarterback and the guys that are on the field with him to make decisions about what they're seeing. Very Tom Brady and the system that they ran in in New England, which was Mm -hmm. we're going to run these concepts to the right 
we all need to read the concepts the same way. And we're going to make these throws into these concepts. It's not really a play call, right? We're not going to run, right. you know, a corner sale flag, you know, dig route, whatever, right? It's not like that. Um, the Ravens need to incorporate some of that kind of stuff. And and they should be, I think we're seeing progressions from Lamar at the stage where he's doing it. And, and even the, the almost third interception that you had mentioned where Lamar threw it late to Hollywood, that one to me is an example where the Ravens just, if they would have used kind of the the run option play action look and let Lamar keep his shoulders to the line of scrimmage, Brown screams by the safety and is wide open. He has three yards of separation and Lamar has his back turned to him at that moment. Um, and so he can't ever make that throw and he can't make the read. He turns around and he looks, he sees it, he's open. But by, by that moment, the, because you're in front of the end zone, the gaps close a lot faster. You can't get the throw in there quick enough. Right. You know, all those kind of things. You know, I, I like to... Again, in that instance, you're taking away one of the assets of your quarterback on a on a what you know is going to be a passing play. You take a second and a half away from him there of of processing ability. I, I don't love that. I, you know, I don't hate it, but I don't love that. Yeah, it, it made more sense with Joe Flacco, and it made more sense for for a number of reasons. One of them being that since Joe Flacco wasn't a mobility threat, the backside edge defender wasn't worrying about him on the boot as much, and he could he could roll out and really create time and space. By, by doing the zone block left naked boot right, which we saw so many times over the years. And it did, it did, opponents were starting to get hip to it and not, not fall for it as much. But uh, Flacco was very good at having the right height to, to get to the first level guy when he needed to and not go, go to the first level automatically, but, but really work down from 3-2-1 in terms of where you want to make that, pl- make that throw. Yeah, Absolutely. Let's let's move on. So let's talk about some individual players in this game, and we'll do the alternation method. I always like doing that with you. Uh, give me a player you want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, let's start with Hollywood Brown, who has just been an absolute. I, I mean, I don't know that I haven't watched enough of the rest of the league so far this year, but um, you know, borderline All Pro, definitely Pro Bowl performance that we're seeing from mm-hmm. him so far. Absolutely like crisp in his route running been great separation, which we heard he was getting last year or like, you know, some of the different statistics that you might read really just converting on everything, catching everything looks fast. And he, the one thing that I like about him this year is that he's playing through contact a little bit more. There were a lot of these kind of like fall down moments, step out of bound moments, pull back and pull out of the way moments. I don't think we've seen one of those yet this year in any of the same way that we did the last two. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, he's he's looked better. He's looked much better playing through contact. I would agree. And they're not getting him free with motion the way they did a lot of last year. So you know he's doing a lot of that on his own, and that I really like about it. I I, I do like the fact that he's catching the ball effectively. He caught six out of ten in this game. I forget in the first week he might have caught six out of six, or it might have been five out of six. But it was an effective effective day for them uh, him then as well. So it's going to be a good yards per target year for for Hollywood Brown and and he might be you know one of those rare Ravens receivers who gets up to about 10 yards per target uh if he can keep up what he's doing so far and that would certainly be pro bowl worthy I I'll move on to Tyson Williams I, I I like a lot of the things you mentioned about him earlier uh we got a guy who is uh meets the speed need of this team um I think he uh, he's not just a cutback guy he really is the speed back and obviously on this team at slightly under four or five speed but uh, it really plays faster than that. I think cuts faster than that, which is which is one thing I really like to see. Uh, receiving skills have not been perfect, but you know you look at it over two games, and he's got uh, north of seven and a half yards, I believe, per throw, or right around seven and a half yards per target. You can't get much better than that as a running back. Maybe a little, maybe you know, Le'Veon Bell in his prime, but there aren't too many running backs who will do better than that for you. Yeah. 
You know, I'll I'll take um, Sammy Watkins next as a guy that that I think there were some moments. He, I think both in the Raider in the Raiders game and this game that needed they had great moments and he had some questionable moments. Uh, you know, as a back to back to Tyson, I'll just say this briefly: the Ravens need to figure out their cleat situation. Too many Ravens are falling on the field for no reason with no contact on a regular basis. Last year it was Lamar. We saw it with Watkins. We saw it with Tyson Williams. We saw it with Mark Andrews in this game. The, the Hollywood Brown touchdown pass only happened because Mark Andrews fell down in his route when he was kind of trying to get out into his route. And so he might have tripped over another guy. The Ravens need to figure out that, that out because I haven't seen no other team the Ravens have played have had anywhere near the number of guys to slip and fall. That being said, Sammy Watkins, you know, slipped on the pick six, had a big drop and a big moment on that last drive in the fourth quarter, but then had the big catch right before the fourth down. Lamar seems to trust him, does seem willing to kind of force the ball into him, seems to seems to be willing to go to him. It's really good to see Lamar have a guy that he seems to really trust in that capacity. Um, I think that that helps this offense take big steps forward in terms of the passing game. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a, a huge positive. I, I'm going to go to my next guy and say Eric Tomlinson is a, is a guy I want to talk about. And, and I think in this game in particular, this is the appropriate time to do it because he was he was so important to the offense in this one. Um, it didn't play a ton of snaps in this game, honestly. I think he might have only had about a dozen snaps in this game, but used as a blocker and he blocked very well in, in this game. We saw a lot of that in the preseason from him. We also saw some in the preseason as a receiver from him. They're not even making a pretense of that. He might have gone out you know, five times in two weeks so far for a pass. I don't, maybe not even that many, uh, but he's been, he's been basically used as a blocker and done very well, pass or run both ways. He's, he's been effective. Yeah, and, and I'll single out Devin DuVernay kind of on the flip side of that where he had a lot of great blocking in this game. He looked really good. The Ravens seemed to really trust and be able to use him. My only knock on him was that I thought that the Tyson Williams fumble in this game was strictly on DuVernay. If he holds that block and carries it through and just pushes his guy into the end zone, there, there's no free rusher on Tyson to put his helmet on that ball. DuVernay at about the two-yard line lets go of his blocker, lets go of the defender, and he turns and he's watching Tyson run in the end zone, which is why he was there to catch the ball. Yeah, the he's there, yeah, like, he, the reason he saw the ball pop up is because he was already watching that. That frustrated me um, as a fan, and I think that that probably ultimately could frustrate the Ravens coaching staff and lead for a guy like Boykin to get snaps when I didn't think there might be room for him to get those when he came back. It's, it's not like DuVernay's getting targets, or it's not like he's making catches so yep. i don't see why you wouldn't reinsert boykin as the x receiver when he comes back for a fair amount of plays you're gonna have watkins there but the ravens rotate so much on a by play basis you're gonna want a lot of boykin and boykin gives you a lot as a blocker so uh it just became that much more important one thing we noticed a lot is that duvernay was lining up very tight on a lot of uh the formations so we we we, you can, there's two ways you can kind of score formation if you do this. You can score package, which is what you're really having. How many running backs in terms of their roster position are there? How many tight ends as the roster position wide receivers? I think that's, that's a, a nice thing to have, but I think even more, even more important is the actual position they line up in. So Andrews becomes a wide receiver a lot of the time, and you have 11, you have 311, as we would note it on our, 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 uh, uh, our score sheet, which really might be 12 personnel for the Ravens with an inline tight end and Andrews is one of the receivers. Um, and what we're noticing anyway, how this relates to, to DuVernay is that he lined up tight to the line of scrimmage in a position where we really allocated him as a tight end on the play. And he was making some blocks 
from that spot. So they obviously they're trusting him to do some of what Willie Sneed did last year uh, in, in that role. But uh, but I think that Boykin is a much more capable blocker than Duvernay is. And, and I, I do think we'll see him when he comes back. Yeah, I, I've changed my tune on that. I agree with you. All right. Who else you got? Anybody else you want to talk about? Mark Andrews needs a, needs a shout out here for, uh, you know, his play at the end of the end of the first half. That was a tremendous. Mm-hmm. That was an amazing play. I also think that the Ravens are intentionally trying to not make Andrews the first read right now. There were when I went back and watched this game and I went and went back, went back and watched the Las Vegas game. There were plays where Lamar wasn't throwing to Andrews, where the last two years he was always throwing that ball to Andrews. Um, you know, I, on the on the missed third down play to Tyson Williams in the Raiders game, Andrews is standing wide open in front of Lamar and he's not the first read. And I think the Ravens are just doing that with the intention of setting it up for bringing him back. And I think Andrews somewhere around week five or six, or once Boyle gets back is just going to explode. And we're going to see a series of massive games from him. Cause he still from a health and physical perspective has looked really good. Yeah, I, I agree. Andrews in camp was the complete darling of Lamar. Prochet got a, got a fair amount of targets. A lot of them were from Huntley as well, uh, and, and McSorley for that matter. But but uh, Andrews got a lot of Lamar's targets in camp, and it would not surprise me at all if they've intentionally tried to mute that. And, of course, in a game against the Chiefs, you better not really be doing that because because you need to you need to figure out how to beat the Chiefs however you need to figure out how to how to beat the Chiefs. If they're going to do that against Detroit, I guess I'm, I'd be more understand. You know that they maybe keep some play action under wraps, keep some some looks they think they can use later in the season. Okay, that's fine. If as long as it doesn't cost you the game, I'm okay with it. Um, but if they can, you know, if they find out they can run the ball effectively on Detroit, it's okay if Mark Andrews gets three three targets this week. Yeah, totally agree. All right, let's let's talk MVPs from this game, and and uh, we'll, we'll we'll call them out three, two, one. Do you want to start? Uh, yeah, you know, I guess if I was going three, I would go. You know, Tyson Williams. I thought I thought his performance and what he brought from a running game perspective just just added a huge dimension to this game. Allowed the Ravens to pick up big chunks on first down. The run on the second and twenty five in the first half really kept that drive alive and allowed them to oh, score, yeah. score that field goal. Uh, it was a tremendous run. Um, I, you know, I've just been really impressed. Yeah, you look down the whole set of of runners for the Ravens. They got the 251 yards, and their their top guy has 107. That's Jackson, of course. But Williams has 77, Murray 36, and Freeman 29. Not often do you get that kind of a spread among four um, runners in a single game. Even Patrick Ricard had a two yard pickup on what third and one, I guess it was yeah. third and one, fourth and one. That was the, that was the thir- it was the third and one that I thought the Ravens should have used play action. <laughs> okay. That's a big one. Okay, my number three guys in this case are McCary and Zeitler. I'm going to break the rules and give it to two. Uh, They did so well on the right side, and that was where a lot of the Ravens' success at caving in that right side and creating opportunities. Freeman early in the game, his long run was also to that side. Tyson Williams had at least one, maybe two over there. Latavius Murray ran his most effectively, I believe, on that side. So uh, McCary and Zeitler, to me, uh, both played outstanding and were were the stars of the offensive line. Yeah, they, they played really well. I think for my two guy, I, I'm going with Hollywood Brown. He's just, like I said, borderline all pro so far from what we've seen from him this year. If he sustains a 90-yard gain receiving pace that we've seen, um, and obviously a t- if he scores a touchdown a game and has 17 touchdowns, he's definitely going to be an all pro. Yeah. I wouldn't expect that, but he just he's played great. You know, one of the things I want to look at, and Hollywood's my number two guy too, but is, is Hollywood getting a lot of his separation by deception? 
Is he selling a different route? And, and you know, we, this terrible situation we're on with NFL Game Pass and not having the All-22, we're not really privy to as much of that. Sometimes NBC will run that will show you from behind the play what's going on on the game or on these nationally televised games. You might get that. But we, we, we're really missing out on that right now, and, and we need to get the All-22 back to, to, to get a look at that. Totally agree. Uh, who's your number one guy? I mean, it's got to be. Choice. It's got to. It's got. I, I, I'm flipping over while I'm saying it. It's Lamar. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, me too. Great game for Jackson, and and uh, one of those games that that you know gets him over the hump a little bit, and uh, I, you know, nice comeback win. I, one thing that that the Ravens had not come back from eleven down anywhere since two thousand in the fourth quarter since two thousand six. It's a game actually. Maureen and I went to. In Cleveland, they were down 14-3, and they ended up winning 15-14 to on Stover's 52-yard field goal, basically in the final seconds. It might have been three seconds left after because the, there was a kickoff. But, uh, but anyways, it was, a, it was a long time ago. And I don't know if they've ever come back from 12 or more down. Uh, but, but that was that I saw in a, in a tweet. I thought that was worth uh, talking about. But great comeback by Jackson anyway. And, and certainly one, you know, he's not known for, for great comebacks, but the defense and offense really played together very well to get it done and on those final three Chiefs drives. Yeah, it, it, I'll just briefly insert that it drives me crazy that people criticize Lamar for not enough big comebacks. It's hard to come back when your team is when up you're never by down. 20. <laughs> you're never down. So, yeah, it's, and unfortunately, you know, they lost the Oakland game when they led by 14 yeah. and, they, and they, they led it to half. But, uh, you know, it's, this year seems to be some rule breakers. Let's go over to Josh here. Josh, what do you have for us in the mailbag this week? All right, we'll get to the mailbag real quick. But a reminder again about Tick Pick. Now that football is back, there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Baltimore Raven tickets because TickPick, T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need to go to for all your NFL tickets. They got rid of those awful service fees that all the other sites charge, and they guarantee the best prices for all their NFL tickets. If you don't believe it, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, they'll give you 110% of the difference in your purchase price. So I mentioned yesterday about Miami, four hours away from me, week 10, Thursday night football. That's the game I'm looking at. Uh, great prices. They were all under 200 bucks for those games. So make sure you go check out TickPick for whatever games. And if you use the code RAVENS and go to TickPick.com slash RAVENS, you will save $10 on your first order for support and film study. Life's good. All right. Mailbag. Mailbag is getting in your questions on Twitter using the hashtag film study mailbag. All right, guys, a lot of fun with this offense. Let's start with at Go Ravens, who is wondering about uh, Duvernay kind of being in the right place at the right time. But uh, is he kind of working his way as a blocking wide receiver? And how is he compared to Boykin? I guess I'll start on this. And you, you made the great point about Duvernay just happening to be in the right place at the right time for doing the wrong thing on that, <laughs> on that uh, uh, touchdown of his own. It's almost like he should have handed the ball back to Williams to allow for the spike. But, but Duvernay used inside in ways that, would, that, that are more uh, independent on what he provides as a blocker, not really being used as a receiver very much. And, and you know, we hit on Boykin being, we think, a, a, a reasonable choice when he's healthy because he's, he's been such a good blocker in his couple of years with the Ravens. Uh, Duvernay, I don't think he's, he, he will ever really surprise you on the upside as a blocker uh, unless you really set your expectation bar a lot lower than you do for Boykin. 
Yeah, and a straight line speed is great when he gets it going, but he doesn't have that like separation gear. So the Ravens like to take these shots, and they even took a shot, um, you know, I think deep in this game and the Las Vegas game to Duvernay. He doesn't have that like once he gets a step ahead of the guy, you know, out deep, he doesn't have that gear to to really get ahead of them. Um, and I think it, he, that's what he needs to develop. If he can develop that, then I think his role will grow significantly within this offense. Yeah. He needs to be able to stick his foot in the ground at the top of the route. And and that's the only way he's going to be able to sell. You know, it, he's going to have to become Bateman, you know, in terms of ability to, to stop and go, to slant and go, to do the things that, that uh, are, are more effective uh, to, to create separation. You can't create separation with speed alone. It's too difficult. The, the cornerbacks in this league are too fast. All right. Uh, let's talk about running backs for a moment. Do you think Tyson Williams – fumbles will cost him the majority of the workload but i think i'd add on to jimmy john's question about the fact that tyson was never supposed to be the number one running back so how does he line up with the other running backs now that we've signed a few guys why don't you start us off yeah i I mean i don't think i I think he's too good to he's too much he's too he's too much better that's not good english he's he's too much better than latavius murray and Devontae freeman right now um in terms of what he actually brings you with his legs on the field to and and his ability to catch the ball so you you just can't take him off because of that but he does he's got to clean up these fumble issues he's got to tighten up the security around some of that um it's going to cost him is there's going to be a game or maybe a stretch of games if he keeps fumbling where the Ravens do sit him down or they take a lot of touches away. And then I think they'll bring him back because they have to. Yeah, I, I don't think they have another option either. And I'll say two things. The fumble down the field, I'm actually less concerned about. There's a cost of doing business to fumbles. He was put in a bad position by uh, by Duvernay, as you mentioned. But, uh, you know, the fumbles in the mesh point are the bigger concern. So if it, and, it, and that was what happened in the, in the first game at Oakland. It wasn't really his fumble, but it was a it was an exchange problem. And, you know, since Lamar knows what he wants to do and has been doing it with other backs, you have to figure Williams probably gets most of the most of the credit, the, the charge for, the, for that failure. That's what they've got to clean up. And, and if they can get the mesh point clean, these occasional other fumbles will not amount to much. Uh, the back who he kind of reminds me of in terms of, you know, having some early fumble troubles and they, they stuck with him anyway, because he was by far the best guy they had was Collins a few years ago. You know, he had some, he had some fumbles, but he was constantly putting up like nine for 82. And that's, you know, what we're getting from, from Williams right now. So, so, you know, you don't, you don't take that guy out of the game. Yeah. All right, I've got four questions here, all asking basically the same thing about this offensive line. Uh, real quick, you can add in, is it time to extend Bozeman and get it done right away? But the big question that everyone wants to know is, what does this line look like now when Stanley returns? Okay, you, 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 how about we hear your cut first on, on when Stanley returns? How do you deal with the Villanueva McCary situation? Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to send Villanueva back and you've got to give him four games. Uh, you've got to give him a four game cushion and you've got to suffer through it. I really hope Stanley can play this week because I'd really like it to be the next two weeks <laughs> before they get into a little bit of the meteor part of their schedule. And even then, it's not terrible. I mean, the Colts and the Chargers aren't as bad as, you know, I want Villanueva to be settled in by the time we hit divisional play. I want to give him a chance. I think that. You know, if it's not filling a waiver, then you like I don't I don't really want it to be Macari either. I would rather the Ravens go out and try and get a guy like Mitchell Swartz to come in and play right tackle if if that's the place that they're left in. Right. I, I remember you, you said you'd heard something about Mitchell Swartz in the last couple of weeks. What I heard from the Chiefs 
know your foe guy was that Schwartz is not ready to play football right now. He's dropped a ton of weight and it'd be like asking Marshall Yonda to come back. So I don't, I don't think he could put on that weight immediately. He's he, from, from his perspective, he's really retired and I think he knows him fairly well uh, in terms of that. So I don't think it's gonna be Mitchell Schwartz, but that doesn't mean there's not somebody else out there who they like. I mean, they picked up another, another left tackle. In fact, they pick up two more tackles for the practice squad today or yesterday and released um, who was it? Sarrell, Foster Sarrell. So they got uh, Sharp and who's the other guy? Because he's a he's a he's a guy. Something hyphenated. It's something hyphenated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so we'll we'll, we'll see. But it, but I, I was there's another part of that extending Bozeman. I'm all for that. Uh, you know, fun. I think that the sooner you can do that, the better. All right. All right. Here's a uh, more of a softball question for you to close out the mailbag. Now that we got past the Chiefs game, and it was a big game that we've had circled since the schedule was announced, what's the next big game that the Ravens need to prove themselves on? So, wasn't sure. All right, good. You got the schedule in front of you. I'm, I'm looking at it. Right. Um, I mean, my first answer is it better be the Lions or they're going to lose focus <laughs> on the season. Because this is a game, they're, they're an eight-point favorite. Yeah. I think that's a little bit overblown. Uh, I don't know about you, Jordan. 16 years ago, I went to Detroit and watched a 21 penalty, ugly, ugly game where Bart Scott ended up throwing the referee's flag into the stands. He was, we were so upset about the they, – they, I think they might have gotten at one point 11 consecutive plays uh, from inside the 10-yard line to, to extend a drive multiple times. It's just, it, it was ridiculous. So if it's not the lions, I'll be a little bit upset, but you know, looking, looking forward. Uh, I don't think the Vikings are particularly strong. I think it could be the dolphins, the bears. I, you know, you're, you're really looking at week 12 through 14 being the major crux of the Ravens schedule. And they, they, they can't look ahead to that because they're not good enough to look ahead to that, but they, but they, they better be ready to play that. So get ready for divisional ball. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's that three game stretch of Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, that, that will define their season and more so because for whatever reason, the NFL decided that it was fair for the Cleveland Browns to get to play the Ravens in back to back games of the buy. It's just ridiculous. It's, it's absolutely yeah. absurd. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's so far beyond, by the way, the Ronnie Stanley thing, you know, I, I think a lot of people are like you. They saw Ronnie Stanley as questionable uh, this last week, which I don't think was even truthful by the Ravens. I don't think he was questionable at all because it's, you, it used to be that was a 50% chance to play, but they got rid of, I think the probable level. And so they just, it's, it's, it's maybe more murky about what your percentage chance to not play has to be, but there was no chance that Ronnie's going to suit up. And Harbaugh's comment after the game makes me worried that we're going to get worse news from a long-term perspective about Stanley in the next week and a half. He said, We'll have something for you in the next week to 10 days about running. Well, what are they going to tell us? That he's playing in 14? I don't think it's going to be that. I think, you know, the thing that they're going to tell us is that, you know, he needs six to eight weeks because the injury is this. Um, you know, and, and I hope he can come back at some point this year. But I, I you know, I'm preparing for the worst at this point. I, I think he'll be I'm optimistic that he'll be back sooner than that. I think that they listed him as questionable because I think that it's non- it's not, it, it's a pain tolerance issue and not a injury Uh-oh. related issue. That's, that's my hunch. Okay. Very interesting. And what is the Stanley injury? Ankle. It's, yeah, it's still, it's still tied yeah, back to the still... broken ankle. Yeah. Okay. All right. 
And then to back up with what you were just saying at the Browns, to make it clear for everyone, so you're saying that we play the Browns week 12, week 13, the Browns have their bye, and then we play them again on week 14. That's so correct. It's the, it's the Browns get us back-to-back with a bye with a bye in order to fix whatever goes wrong in the first week. It's, it's, it's an absurd piece of scheduling. I don't know why they did it to the Ravens. I, I don't know how they justified it. Uh, it's one of the things I just jumped up and down screaming, but the Browns definitely have the schedule to, to allow them to win the AFC North this year. They had a much more favorable schedule than both the Steelers and the, and the Ravens. With a divisional oh. game, uh, the Ravens playing a divisional game in between. I, I would probably be even less upset if it was like the Lions in that in-between game, right? right but it's right. the Steelers in between there. Okay, so you're saying that now that uh, now the NFL is gearing because they want the Browns in the Super Bowl. <laughs> that's what you guys are telling me well they, they got the easiest schedule for for whatever reason i'm i it's i i do a schedule article every year that compares the divisional schedules and and for whatever reason the ravens always seem to get some extra screw job in terms of an extra team coming off a bye or something funky going on with a thursday game or whatever it is and and it's it's happened again and even they, they can never seem to catch a break and get a thursday game at home against a divisional opponent when it would really help them it's, they did have the steelers a few years ago under those circumstances but it, it just it doesn't seem like they get the same deal that other other franchises right. get and then closing out the season with the steelers means that game's going to matter pretty much no matter what it, it it might it certainly might matter i think it's high probability it matters to one of the two teams when you say that jordan yeah i think it's going to matter more to the ravens than it is the steelers Mm-hmm. all right guys well jordan i'm glad that the situation is back what else are you up to uh you know you guys can check us out on twitter um i'm at raven sit room we're trying to hopefully we'll get that all 22 back um trying to get some video posts up there um, once we stop having these night games that end uh late in the day so we don't get a chance to try and get a podcast up with video we're just trying to make sure that we highlight some of those plays and break them down for you guys oh yeah i can't wait one o'clock game on Sunday. That sounds beautiful. Yeah. Oh, doesn't it? Yeah. A couple of weeks. It's a bunch of bunch of old guys with canes complaining about the uh, you know night football and how much they hate it. And I'm on the west coast and I'm complaining about it. It's not yeah. even it's not even late for me. <laughs> I can. Uh, how's the rest of the week? We're look over at film study. Yeah, life's your foe, right? We got to know your foe with a with a great PFF intern tomorrow, Tage Seth. Then we have on Thursday we have the regular Dan Reese show by the numbers. So looking forward to that. And then we're doing a historic a set of historical podcasts. They'll be short. Give me one thing in Ravens history, an oddity or a something you remember. What we're trying to avoid is like the five best linebackers in Ravens history, or the ten best Ravens, or who's the Mount Rushmore. Those things have been debated to death. One guy suggested I thought it was a great topic is Jim Leonard's role in the 2008 postseason run. Great historical topic. A lot of people don't know about it. Worth spending 20 minutes on. Let's do it. That's the kind of oddball, oddity topic I'd love to have from you and uh, willing to discuss anything with anybody. And and, uh, we'll have a series of those shows coming up and really looking forward to doing those in the coming weeks. All right. So you want oddball topics. All right. I'm pretty good at oddball sports related stuff. I'll think of some stuff for you. Like, All right. How about you, Josh? Uh, we, I saw the Bowie was losing uh, tonight. Uh, they actually lost, it looks like. Yeah, they lost tonight, but it's baseball playoffs, so they'll play again tomorrow. And the Orioles lost an extra innings tonight. But, hey, they got the extra innings, so good for them. <laughs> um, 
but check out Section 336. A uh, new episode came out yesterday, and Bert is back for the week to share with us about a trip he just took up to Cooperstown and kind of give us an update on what's going on at Cooperstown lately. Cool. You've been there before, Josh, I assume? Yes, but it's been 20 years, 25 mm-hmm. years since I've Probably been. Probably for me, too. Yeah. So, uh, and I never realized, because I went like in high school, I assumed it was really far away. It's only about five and a half hours from Baltimore. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a trip that people should take if you're a baseball fan. All right. Jordan, thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate having you. Yeah, thanks, Cam. Always happy to be here. Even happier after a Ravens win against Kansas City. Life is good. Life is good. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.